John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It had been the worst summer drought in centuries. People were upset. They were depressed. They were concerned for their future. Fields were parched and brown. Crops lay wilting and dying. They were anxious and irritable in that little farming community as they looked to the sky for any sign of relief. Any wisp of cloud would have given them hope, but there was none. Days turned into weeks, arid weeks, and no rain came. The pastors of the churches in the little town called for an hour of prayer on the town square one day. Everyone was to bring an object of faith for inspiration. At high noon on the appointed day, the townspeople and the farmers all turned out in great numbers, filling the square with anxious faces and hopeful hearts. The pastors were touched to see the people and all that they brought with them, Bibles and prayer books and crosses and rosaries. When the hour of prayer ended, 
just as the last amen was spoken, as if on command, a soft rain began to fall. And as the first drops of that rain hit the faces of those people, loud cheers crossed the crowd. And they lifted their arms and their hands. They lifted their crosses and their Bibles and their prayer books in the air, celebrating the long-awaited, prayed-for rain. But out in the middle of the crowd, way back in the midst of the town square, there was one faith symbol that was held up which overshadowed all the others. A little girl, nine years old, had brought an umbrella. An umbrella. She was the one who really believed. Here we are at Easter again. Called upon today to believe. And for the rest of the year to believe that Jesus our Christ, who died, is risen from the dead. It's a, it's a remarkable faith that we share. It is a challenging faith to believe that one who was dead lives again. It's not an easy faith, never was. Easter is the church's grandest festival, the highest celebration, the heart of our Christian faith. Festive music and flowers and new clothes. But I want you to look again with me at the gospel for today, at John's 20th chapter, because, because despite the high celebration of Easter, the story that tells it is really a very quiet story, a very subdued story. There's some people running back and forth, but the overall tone of the text is, is very calm and restrained. It's tranquil more than it is triumphant. There are no angelic messengers. There are no shouts of he is risen. There are no hallelujahs in John's story. It begins early on Sunday morning, still dark. One lone woman makes her way to the tomb. Suddenly she stops in the gray, hazy light of pre-dawn as she sees that the stone that has sealed the entry to the tomb, the stone has been moved aside. Why would that be? How could it have happened? Hurriedly she turns and she seeks out the other disciples to tell them. So it begins. Three people participate in the drama that follows. Three people visit the tomb and each of their reactions is different. First is Mary, Mary Magdalene. She goes alone. And when she sees that the stone has been moved, she jumps to the conclusion that someone has come during the night and stolen the body of Jesus, her friend. She is not moved to faith by the open tomb. She is moved to fear. She is afraid someone has done violence to his body and disturbed his resting place. Well, the second person is Peter. Mary finds him with another disciple and tells him the terrible news. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have taken his body. 
Peter is shocked, but he doesn't say anything. He and the other disciple run for the tomb. The other disciple is faster and gets there first, but he doesn't go in. When Peter arrives, as we would expect from Peter, he just barges right into the grave without hesitation. But there is no body, only the linen wrappings lying where the body had been. But here's the amazing thing. Those things seem to have no significance for Peter. He assumes that Mary is right. Jesus' body is gone and we don't know where it is. Peter is not moved to faith either. He was perplexed. What could have happened here? The third person in this early morning drama is the beloved disciple, traditionally identified as John. He follows Peter into the tomb, and the text reports, John, the gospel writer, tells us, he saw and believed. He was the one who perceived and understood. Of the three of them, Mary and Peter and John, of the three of them, he was the only one who realized What had really happened? Jesus' body had not been stolen, but he had risen from the dead. Why was it that the other two didn't see and believe as John did right of the way? Well, the fact of the matter is, sisters and brothers, believing in the resurrection of Jesus has never been easy. After such a a cruel crucifixion and an agonizing death and a hasty burial, one does not expect to find the glorious transformation of a resurrection. That's the last thing you expect to see. If you've never, if you've never experienced it before, if you see a, if you see an egg with, with a hard shell, the last thing you expect is for that egg to break open and for something living to pop out. It isn't easy to believe in the resurrection. never was easy. It wasn't easy for early Christians to proclaim it. It wasn't easy for John to write about it. He didn't quite know how to tell the story well. And instead of a grand celebration story, it's a very subdued and quiet tale. And when we look back over 2,000 years of history, it isn't easy for us to believe it either. The resurrection of Jesus was a unique and singular event in history. Nothing else like it has ever happened before or since. It cannot be repeated. It cannot be reexamined. It cannot be compared to any other thing that has ever happened in human experience. When Jesus was crucified... The hillside of Golgotha was swelling with people. Perhaps even hundreds witnessed with their own eyes the brutal acts of execution that took place on the hill there that day. Crucifixion was a a most public event. But nobody saw the resurrection. No one witnessed or experienced directly. No one saw the stone being rolled aside and the buried body of Jesus emerge from the tomb, living again. All the first witnesses saw was a stone out of place, an empty grave, and a pile of discarded grave clothes. So is that it? Is that all we're given is that all we have to stand upon this this subdued, quiet account of what happened that day? And, and the testimony of, of three witnesses, two of whom didn't really get what was going on at the moment? 
Is that all we have to build the faith of a lifetime upon? No, that's not all. Never has been all. It has never been the case that a visit to an empty tomb is the way one comes to faith. The best evidence of the resurrection that we have is not an empty tomb. The best evidence of the resurrection that we have is the testimony of the disciples and of the church. That faith is not built on a visit to an empty tomb. Faith, our resurrection is faith built upon and founded upon an encounter with the living Christ. With the change that Jesus himself makes in our lives. It's not entering an empty tomb, but encountering the living Lord that produced then and still produces now confident faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Martin Luther hit it on the head nearly 500 years ago when he said, we do not believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb. We believe in the resurrection because of the Christ-filled world. We are led to faith not by experiencing a year-by-year return to an empty tomb and struggling to make sense of it. We, like all the faithful people in history, come to faith by encountering the living Lord in our own lives, week by week, day by day. It is not understanding the empty tomb and how it got that way, but encountering the living Christ that creates in us a resurrection faith. And that's a bit disturbing to us 20th century Americans with our scientific and technological sensibilities. We want to go back and look at the evidence. We want to analyze it and take it apart and figure out exactly how it happened in order to fully believe it and accept it. But there's no proving the resurrection, not by sacred stories of an empty tomb or detailed descriptions of discarded grave clothes. There are no shrouds or other relics that that can prove to us the reality of what the scripture says happened. The empty tomb, as a matter of fact, on Easter morning, the empty tomb caused more fear than it caused faith. But those same people, those same fearful, perplexed people were transformed when they encountered the risen Christ. Karl Barth was one of the 20th century's most remarkable churchmen. And and he was once asked, someone asked Karl Barth one day, why do people come to church? And Barth answered, people come to church to ask a question. Only one question, and everyone asks it, and it's always the same. The question is this. Is it true? Is it true? I suspect that that's particularly the case on Easter. Is it true? I have heard that there is a loving God who created this universe and even yet is moving around within it. Is it true? Could it possibly be true? I have heard that because God loves the world so much that he sent his own child to save us from our foolishness and to save us from death. Could that possibly be true? Is it true? I have heard that, that I can trust my life and the lives of those I love into God's care. Could it possibly be true? Is it true? I have heard that good is stronger than evil. I, I, I've heard that life is stronger than death. Is that true? 
Is it really true? Can, can I count on it? I've heard that, that one morning, Jesus' disciples found that his grave was empty. And that he had, he had risen from death. Something that has never happened before or since. Could that possibly be true? Just like it happened 2,000 years ago. People will not find satisfying answers to their questions by visiting an empty tomb. They will not even find satisfying answers to their questions if they read words on a page or engaging stories no matter how convincing they are. If people are going to find answers to the question, is it true? They will find their answer in a genuine encounter with the living Christ. And, and that's not some mystical event, but it occurs when the Christ in them meets the Christ in you and me. It's not an empty tomb or an ancient shroud or ghost-like apparitions, but it is the Christ-filled world that results in faith in Jesus' resurrection. The Christ in me meeting the Christ in you. Discovering that in, in unsuspecting places, in unpredictable ways, there is goodness and there is hope that we share with each other that, that has its source in, in God's love for us. It's not, never was, an empty tomb that engendered faith. But it is the Christ-filled world and an encounter with that living Christ. Amen.